and welcome, friends. We're glad that you're listening and watching our Lenten preaching series in the midst of these uncertain times around coronavirus. One of these things that this sickness has brought about is perspective. Uh, we begin to learn what's essential and what we ought to hold loosely. And so our format may be changing from day to day. It may be that we have a preacher come in uh, and we record live uh, and archive that. It may be that they live stream or record a sermon from where they're located, honoring our present schedule. Or it may be that we have a different kind of programming uh, brought to you. Uh, but regardless, we're looking at having something every single day during Lent. Even though uh, things are changing around us, ministry hasn't stopped. And so what we think is absolutely essential is uh, what God has to say about uh, his word. And we are reminded of this during our Lenten services here on Sundays uh, when we sing from Isaiah chapter 55. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And so without further delay, will you join me in praying for what we are about to hear? Grant to us, Heavenly Father, that the words which we will hear this day with our outward ears may through thy grace be so grafted inwardly in our hearts that they may bring forth in us the fruit of good living to the honor and praise of thy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. To the brothers and sisters at Church of the Advent in Birmingham, and to those who, like me, will be watching this series uh, from around the world, uh, greetings to you from your socially distanced brothers and sisters here in Charlotte at Hope Community Church. Uh, I'd like to say a special thanks to my friend Cameron Cole for inviting me to be part of what God's doing uh, in and amongst you uh, there at Church of the Advent in Birmingham. Uh, the topic I'd like for us to consider uh, today for our Lenten lunch is how to be used of God when you're anxious, angry, and afraid. And the text that we will be looking at together comes from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, where we read, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest upon men's wisdom, but on the power of God. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of the age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. For God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Let me pray for our time together today in God's presence. Father, thank you that you are not bound by time or space and that as a result, you're able to unify us in your presence no matter when or where we are listening to this sermon series. We pray now for your spirit of truth to come and lead us into the truth that transcends all of our circumstances and sets us free. In the name of Jesus Christ, your son, who loves us and gave himself up for us all, we pray. Amen. Well, it's my great pleasure uh, to be invited uh, to speak into your congregation uh, God's word for a time such as this. And for me, uh, it's been an anxious time. Uh, I've learned in the last 24 hours that three of my family members are already in a voluntary quarantine uh, as they've been exposed to someone who may have the virus. Uh, the delightful moments I shared with the men from your congregation who invited me to go skiing with them in Utah a mere four weeks ago now feel like a distant memory. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm Mark Upton, uh, the founding pastor of Hope Community Church, also referred to as, quote, an older gentleman in Cameron's book, Therefore We Have Hope. Uh, a meeting which I will have you know took place when Cameron was 22 and I was 33. I am also an Enneagram 8 wing 7 personality type, that's known as the Maverick, and so I spend most of my time thinking about the future and figuring out what I can do now to control my environment in order to see my will done then which has meant that for the last several weeks, I've been anxious and afraid about the severity of this virus and angry about why no one around me seemed to be taking it seriously enough. Three weeks ago, I told my staff that I was afraid that we are Italy and asked if we should cancel our greeting time during worship, an idea that met with some significant resistance. Last week, we canceled our services and this week, we canceled all face-to-face -face meetings. But when I got up to preach on Sunday to uh, my virtual congregation for the first time in the history of hope, I was still very anxious and afraid. I was anxious about what was coming and afraid that I was gonna mishandle it as a leader and still angry about those who I wanted to take it more seriously than they were. This, of course, is the downside of being an Enneagram 8. We're strong leaders, uh, but we can also be childish and easily angered. So on Monday morning, as I woke up and looked forward to the week in front of me, I felt like a spiritual infant, uh, afraid of tomorrow, questioning whether or not I had the wisdom necessary to lead us through the potentially dark and difficult days ahead and prone to a temper tantrum with my staff. When God's gracious provision came through, uh, as I opened my Lenten devotional for the day, I've been using the one provided by Biola University, and that's where I read uh, the passage that we're looking at today, where Paul begins, when I came to you brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. 
For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. Did you notice what Paul said there? When God was using the Apostle Paul to found the New Testament church, to take the gospel to the Gentiles, and to write the very word of God, <clears throat> he didn't feel confident and smart. He felt foolish and afraid. He ministered to the Corinthians in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. So why was Paul trembling? I think that it's possible that Paul had PTSD. Before getting to Corinth, Paul had been through a lot of suffering. Uh, a little later, he wrote the same church a list of the things that he had suffered. 2 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. We don't know exactly how many of those events took place prior to Paul's arrival in Corinth, but a lot of them did. So it should come as no surprise that he was afraid when he first started preaching in the Corinthian synagogue and that he actually wanted to quit when he met with some significant resistance there. I know what that feels like. Maybe you do too. I've ministered to people dying of a respiratory disease before, and I'm not looking forward to doing it again, particularly if it's someone in my family, and I certainly don't want to contract it myself. But Jesus met Paul in his fear, and he gave him an important piece of encouragement. In Acts 18, 9 through 11, we read, One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. This took place in Corinth, where he said, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack you and harm you, because I have many people in the city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. And what did God do with the ministry that Paul conducted in fear and trembling? God used it to change the eternal destiny of all who heard that message and transformed the Roman world by it. So what was Paul's message? Verse 6 tells us, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, 
as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Paul's message was simple. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ revealed to all of us all that we need to know about this life and the life to come. So what does Jesus reveal to us about this life? He reveals that it's our starter life. Jesus' ability to supernaturally predict his death and then supernaturally overcome it through his resurrection reveal that a reality exists that supersedes the one that we're in. Jesus explained this as God revealed to his apostles who he was. In Luke 9, beginning in verse 20, we read, But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, The Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good will it be for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his very self? Which is why the beloved Apostle John warns us in 1 John 2, 15-17, Do not love the world. Or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. And that fact makes this present crisis incredibly useful to us because it reminds us just how foolish and fleeting it is to place our hopes in any material thing. So what should we do instead? We should do what Paul learned to do in the Philippian jail. In his letter to the Philippians, he explained the lesson that he learned throughout his life. Beginning in verse uh, seven of chapter three, Paul said, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes by the law, but having that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this but or have, or have already been made perfect, but press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Practically what this means is that Paul made pursuing his personal relationship with the resurrected Jesus, the central focus of his everyday existence. So whenever that existence took a turn for the worst, and it did a lot, Paul couldn't lose the one thing in life that really mattered to him. He couldn't lose Jesus. Everything else could go, and Paul would be okay. 
Consequently, he found that ability to continue to preach Christ crucified while experiencing fear and feeling foolish and trembling in his current circumstances. Knowing that God chooses the weak and the foolish in this world to shame the strong and the wise gave Paul confidence. Does this mean then that we should recklessly ignore our government's guidelines about the current crisis in the name of Christ? Absolutely not. The same Paul taught us in Romans 13 that obeying Jesus looks like submitting to governing authorities because they're instituted by God, even if those authorities are conspiring against us. Our choice to meet virtually today is a very practical way for us to express our faith in God and our love for our neighbors by submitting to our government in a manner that makes their leadership of us a joy and not a burden. But living the way Paul lived does mean that we focus our time in the solitude of social distance. And we begin, instead of making it focused on preserving our lives or our businesses or our control of our environment on knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings as we love our neighbors, becoming like him in his death so that somehow, by the grace of God alone, we might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Because as Paul explains at the end of our passage, no matter how dark and difficult things get around here, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you know how dark and difficult things get in a broken and fallen world. We thank you, Lord, that you told us that in this world we would have trouble, but that we could take heart because you've overcome the world. We thank you, Lord, that you understand that we are dust and that your compassions and mercies are new for us every morning. We pray, Lord, that we would bring you our anxious hearts, our angry hearts, our trembling bodies, and lay them at your feet, that you might use them for your glory and restore them for our good. We pray this in your name. Amen.